Thank you for joining us here today at Calvary Church, where we are committed to loving God and loving people. If you have any questions or want to learn more about who we are, visit us online at calvary.ca. Now let's check out this week's message. Hello and welcome to episode five of our At The Movies series, a series where we're using movies to illustrate and explain biblical truths. Because movies are kind of like modern-day parables, like the stories that Jesus told. In fact, everything that we watch, everything that we listen to, everything that we read has a story to tell us about the way the world is. And sometimes those stories align with what the Bible says, and other times they may not. Either way, we can watch movies and TV shows and read books and all the things that we do with a critical ear and eye to pick out the truths that help us maybe better understand ourselves and God, but also help us understand our world as well. And today we're going to be diving into another movie. Uh, and looking behind me, you might think that I'm doing a, a space movie. But no, I did not spend all week setting up a, a set for my movie. In fact, this is the set of our VBS Kids Day Camps that went on all week. And we had over 100 kids in this building every single day learning Bible stories and hearing the gospel. So take some time to pray for those kids that the truth of Jesus would take root in them and that they would grow in their faith and pray for their families as well and pray for all the leaders that they would be blessed in, in the, the volunteering that they did but also that they would recover from such a crazy, fun, high-energy week. So today, we're going to be looking at a movie that came out in 2021. And this movie... Um, can be taken, we could take it in a number of different ways, but just so that you're ready, uh, we're going to look a little bit at the book of Job today. So if you got a Bible, just flip your way there right now. But before we do that, we're going to talk a little bit about the movie Encanto. Now, if you've seen this movie, you'll know that it is a Disney musical, animated musical, and it is, uh, it's got lots of fun songs in it. My, my daughter has watched it over and over and over again on repeat. We haven't watched it much recently, but there was a time when it was on almost 24-7 in our house. And this is the story of Encanto. A young couple flees from an armed conflict with their three infant children. As they are pursued, the husband turns back to defend his family, and he's killed. As the attackers close in on the mother and her children, a burst of light comes from the candle she's holding. The attackers are pushed back, and the landscape is transformed around her into a protected paradise. And a sentient house is constructed, a house that is living is constructed, that the mother and the children can live in. And then 50 years later, we find a thriving village, and that mother and her family help lead and guide and care for this village. And each member of that family has a special gift. Abuela is the mother, the, now the grandmother, who is the keeper of the magical candle. And her three children, two of her three children, have three children of their own. There's Julieta. And her cooking helps heal people. Isabella, her daughter, 
can make flowers grow anywhere. And Luisa, her next daughter, is super strong. And then there's Peppa. Peppa is Julieta's twin, or one of the triplets. Peppa's uh, her sister. And her mood controls the weather. Her son, Camilo, can shapeshift. And her daughter, Dolores, has super hearing. And her youngest son, Antonio, can talk to and understand animals. And the third triplet is Bruno, but we don't talk about Bruno. And then there's Julieta's youngest daughter, Mirabel. Now, Mirabel is the only one in her family who has no powers. And throughout the story of this movie, we see Mirabel wrestling with, why don't I have the same kind of gifts that the rest of my family has? And we see the home start to develop cracks and fractures in the walls and the floors and all over as the home is starting to fall apart. And what we learn is it's starting to fall apart because it's not just Mirabel who is suffering and in pain. We hear from Luisa, Mirabel's sister, who is incredibly strong, that she is struggling under the weight of having to carry this massive burden of being the strong one, the, the one who holds it all together in her family. We hear that Isabella, who can make flowers grow, but has this pressure to always be perfect and make beautiful things when that's not always what she wants to do. In short, what we learn is that the people in Mirabel's family, they are suffering just like she is suffering, just, in, just with a different expression of it. We also learn about Bruno, who we don't talk about, that because he can see the future, he was kind of shunned by his family because he had a lot of bad news of suffering to come. So we see this family dealing with and wrestling with unspoken issues that they're not addressing and we see Mirabel suffering to try and fit into her family and there's many ways that we could take the themes of this movie and look at what the bible says we could talk about family we could talk about miracles we could talk about a number of things but as i was watching one of the songs where Mirabel talks about the pain that she's feeling and the the fact that she wants so badly to have have the ability to do what her siblings do, I thought about pain and suffering that we all face. And when we turn to the Bible, there is a very clear example of suffering, and we're going to camp out and look at how Job, the man most famous for suffering, dealt with suffering, and how his story went, and then we'll come back in the end and tie it all together with a little bit more from Encanto. To start things off, we need to know that Job was upright and blameless. In fact, the very first verse of Job, chapter 1, verse 1 says, There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. So right there, we're led into a picture that the rest of the characters in the book really don't have a picture of. That's that Job is upright and blameless, meaning He's done nothing wrong. In fact, it says that he even sacrifices to atone for the sins of his children just in case they've done something wrong. And then the accuser enters into God's throne room, and God says, Have you considered my servant Job? 
There is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. And the accuser says the only reason why he is upright and blameless is because he's so wealthy and he's got so much. You take that away from him and he will curse you. He will turn from you. If he feels suffering, he will turn away. And so God says, you have my permission to take away everything that he has. And Job loses everything. He loses his family. He loses his wealth. And then it says in chapter 1, verse 20 to 22, Then Job arose and tore his robe, shaved his head, and fell on the ground and worshipped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away, but blessed be the name of the Lord. And here's an important part. In all of this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. Job's response to losing everything was mourning, tore his clothes, ashes on his head, shaving his head, all that stuff is mourning. But he also worshipped, and he did not sin or charge God with wrong, even though the things that were happening to him were horrific. And then even after that, when the accuser returns, God says, Job is upright and blameless. He still holds his integrity, although you have incited me against him to destroy him without reason. And the accuser says, well, he still has his health. If he doesn't have his health anymore, he will curse you and turn from you. So we're told that Job is struck with sores all over his body from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head, and that he sits down in a heap of ashes with a piece of broken pottery and scrapes himself with it. And then his wife comes forward and gives him a piece of advice. And she says, Do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. Even Job's wife is telling him, just curse God. Just turn from him and die. Your, your suffering is incredible. Just curse God and die. And he says to her, You speak as one of the foolish women, as, as a foolish woman would speak. Shall we receive good from God and shall we not receive evil? Meaning, we receive both good and bad. That, that's how life is. And it says, once again, in all of this, Job did not sin with his lips. And I, I, I highlight all of those times, Job being blameless and upright, declared by the author, declared by God. It says that Job does not sin in all of these things so that we have a very clear picture that Job has not done anything wrong. Because the next thing that happens is that his three friends come to see him. They hear what's gone on and he, they leave their homes and they come to see him and it says in, in verse in verse 12 of chapter 2, it says, And when they saw him from a distance, they did not recognize him. And they raised their voices and wept, and they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads toward heaven. And they sat with him on the ground seven days and seven nights, and no one spoke a word to him, for they saw that his suffering 
was very great. His friends show up, and depending on how we take what they did, tearing their clothes and pouring dust on their heads is a sign of mourning a dead person, they may have said, this guy is as good as dead. Let's sit with him until he dies. Either way, they decided they were going to sit with him, and they weren't going to say anything, and for seven days, no one said a word. I don't know if you've ever gone through a moment where you need time to process the difficult things that you've been through. I've been there. And Job, I'm imagining, needed time to sit there and think through everything that he had ever done. What did he do to deserve this? What did he do that this is where his life has ended up? And then Job opens his mouth. And what we're given for the majority of the book is conversations between Job and his friends. And Job, when he opens his mouth, to sum up what he's saying is, why is this happening? In fact, he goes on to say, it would be better if I was just never born. Why is this happening? And Job's three friends... They, they basically, to summarize chapter and chapter and chapter of the things that they said, they say, you deserve this. Repent. In fact, over and over again, they're saying, you've obviously done something wrong to anger God, so just repent from that. And, it go, and Job goes, I haven't done anything. And his friends are just like, Job, Job, come on. Come on. It's just us here. Just be honest. Repent. Turn from whatever it was you were doing and follow God, and God will bless you again. That's how it works. And it's important to note that the friends in this book represent the conventional wisdom of their day, that if you're suffering, you've done something wrong, you need to, and it's, you need to turn back to God, and then you'll be blessed again. However, we know, we already know that Job has done nothing wrong, so we understand when Job is saying, why is this happening we understand that he has a right to ask, why is this happening? And in fact, the, the, the conversation gets more and more heated, and you can tell it's kind of like a downward spiral because the conversations between the, the friends start giving shorter and more pointed answers to the end where at, at, when the final friend has spoken, not everybody has decided to speak anymore. Some people have just given up on speaking. And then when they're all done... There's another younger man who's with them. We don't know if he showed up later or how this all went down, but there was a younger man who was with them. And he stood up and wanted to give his wisdom on it. And he said, Job, okay, well, maybe you didn't do anything to deserve this, but maybe God is punishing you as a warning to get off the road that you're going on. Maybe you're, you're keeping company with some people that you shouldn't be keeping company with, so God's punishing you. Maybe you need to trust him more. And that's the young man's response to Job. But then God shows up. And when God answers Job, it's not the answer that maybe we expect. Because Job has been over and over asking, why? Why is this happening? And you would expect maybe God shows up. I'm going to give you my, my three-point reason for why these things are happening to you, Job. But that's not what God does. God shows up 
And it says this in chapter 38. God says, Out of the whirlwind, who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? And then maybe the most scary verse in the Bible, Dress for action like a man. I will question you, and you will make it known to me. So God has been questioned by Job over and over and over again, and now he, God, is going to question Job. And what we get is a simple question that is outlined over and over again throughout the next uh, several verses where God says, where were you when things were created? Do you understand how creation works? Do you know how the universe works, how vast everything is? Do you understand all of these things? This question is, where were you, Job? Do you even have a right to question me? Because do you un even understand all of these things? And when God turns to him and says, basically, I mean, well, we'll read the verse. It says, shall a fault finder contend with the Almighty? He who argues with God, let him answer it. That's the first verse of uh, chapter 40. God is done talking, saying, asking Job all the questions about, do you understand how creation works? And he says, all right, Job, answer me. You've, some, you've, you've got some questions. Now, what, what is your response to what I've just laid out? And Job says, behold, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. I have spoken once, and I will not answer twice, but I will proceed no further. Essentially, Job is saying, all right, I understand that I don't know what I'm talking about. I've been speaking out of turn, and I'm going to shut my mouth now. But then God continues, and he says, do you understand my power? Or are you, do you have power over creation. And he lists off these powerful beasts like Behemoth and Leviathan and asking Job, do you understand any of these things? Can you control these things? So we have God presenting something, which is I, I have God as full knowledge and full power, and humans have limited knowledge and limited power. So do we have the right to argue with God? And finally, when Job has heard everything and he hasn't gotten maybe the answer that we would expect him to get, Job responds in, verse, in chapter 42, in verse 2, starting in verse 2, he says, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I do not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear, and I will speak, and I will question you, and you will make it known to me. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now, now my eyes see you, and therefore I despise myself, and I repent in dust and ashes. I repent in dust and ashes. Job realizes that he just doesn't understand everything that God does and is and works in the world. So Job repents, meaning he's like, I'm going to stop what I'm doing, and I'm going to go God's way, not my way. 
And in fact, that I repent in dust and ashes essentially means that he is repenting of sitting down and mourning and, and whining and complaining for the last several um, chapters, days, weeks, however long it took. He is going to repent of the things that he has done, and he is going to stop mourning and get back up and continue on with his life. That he is not going to let the suffering keep him there, that he is going to move away from it. Now, it took him a long time to do that, which indicates to us that it's actually okay to mourn, to weep, to question, to cry out to God. In fact, the Psalms are full of people crying out to God. And in fact, God's response to the friends of Job indicates that Job was allowed to do what he did. It's just the time was come for him to stop questioning and trust and move on. And it says this in Job 42, 7. After the Lord has spoken these words to Job, the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, which is, was kind of the main spokesperson of the friends, My anger burns against you and against your two friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. So Job, did even, even though we know he was blameless at the beginning, he could have easily gone down a dark road throughout his questionings, but he did not. But his friends did. They're, even though they may have had some kernels of truth in what they were saying, they were not speaking rightly. And years ago, when I took a class on the book of Job, when we got to this part, one of the people in the class raised their hand and says, I've noticed that they don't talk to the young men, Elihu, they don't talk to him. God doesn't mention him in this, in this ending. Why? And my teacher looked up and said, yeah. It's because Elihu didn't have anything of value to respond to. And, uh, and I don't know if that interpretation holds with everybody, but it's true that maybe Elihu saying that God's punishing you to warn you is really missing the mark more than even the friends are. But what do we do with all of this? If Encanto deals with how we respond to suffering and the book of Job shows us something of how we respond to suffering, what do we do? Well, there's three things that we can do or should know when it comes to suffering. And the first one is that everyone suffers. Everyone goes through trials. Everyone goes through trials. And just like Mirabelle in Encanto looked at her perfect family, looked at her sister who was perfect and was struggling with the pressure of being perfect and her other sister who was super strong and struggled with the pressure of, of having to be the strong one in the family. And Mirabelle was going through her own pain and agony of not having anything special in her. She realized and learned that every single person goes through suffering. At different times, we just don't know what's going on in everyone's minds. We don't know what's going on in everyone's head or what the, what's going on behind closed doors or even, even the people that look like they have it all put together on the outside when you see them at work or in the coffee shop or even at church. We don't know what's going on internally. We don't know what's going on behind the scenes, and that should give us empathy for one another. We see Job's friends... Show up. And even though when they opened their mouths, nothing much good came out of them, the first thing they did was they showed up for their, friend, for their friend. They showed up. We can say that's a good thing for us to do. 
They showed up and they sat down and just sat with him. Showed up, sat down, and they were just there. And in Encanto, we see the theme of, of basically Maribel learning that she is going to be there for the people in her family, even though she's also dealing with things. She's going to try and be there to support the people in her family when they're going through something. So when we recognize that everyone goes through trials, we know that we can show up. We might not even know what to say. And sometimes that's the best thing we can do. Maybe one thing that we can learn from the book of Job is that sometimes keeping our mouth shut might be the best option. Just showing that you're there for somebody, to sit with them in the pit as they're sad. When the book of Romans tells us to celebrate with those who are celebrating and weep with those who are weeping, that's what it's telling us to do. When people are suffering, don't just try to fix their problem. Just be there for them. Whatever they need, when they need it. One thing that happened to Melissa and I a few years ago that was one of the hardest things we've ever had to deal with that we haven't talked about much publicly, but we, we suffered a miscarriage with our second baby. And, and on October 1st, 2020, that baby, we found out, had not was not going to live, or had, had in fact died, I guess. And it was one of the hardest things we ever had to hear. And there were people who wanted to help. There were people who maybe wanted to give perspective when that was not what we needed to hear at that time. And I'll never forget the best thing that someone said to me. It was my father-in-law. When he came over that night, and he looked at me, and I was trying to fight back tears, and he said, how are you doing? I said, I'm not doing very well. I'm not good. How are you doing? And he looked at me, fighting back tears himself, and said, oh, I'm in the pit. I'm in the pit with you. I can tell you that that meant so much more to me than someone trying to tell me, what we might all want to do, someone trying to make it better in the moment. And that's what Job's friends did. They showed up. They showed up. And they just were there. And in Encanto, Mirabel shows up and she's there for her siblings. So the first thing to do is recognize that everyone goes through trials and then show up for people when they need help. We don't need to have the answers. We just need to show up. Because the second thing is, is that we won't always get an answer. Job doesn't get an answer from God, at least not the answer that he expected. Instead of getting a reason for why everything was happening, Job is told, you just don't understand. You just don't get the whole purposes of God. And in Canto, it's said over and over again, we don't know why you didn't get a gift, Maribel. And in the end, what Maribel learns is to be content with who she is and not knowing not getting an answer to all the questions that she maybe had. Because we won't always get an answer. We won't always get an answer. And sometimes that's hard for us to deal with. And when we look to the book of Job, we see Job responding with, I get that I just don't understand everything. I was sitting here wanting to know why, and I should have been asking, do I even need to know why? 
Sometimes when we go through difficult times, there's no reason that we can understand. And as much as we might seek an answer, as much as someone might say, maybe you sinned, and sometimes that might be, there might be a kernel of truth in that. We know that there are natural consequences. But even then, we don't know why things happen the way they do always. What we do know is that God does work all things for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purposes. However, we don't know how that all plays out or how long we, we, we're in certain seasons or even if it will end on this side of heaven. But what we do know is, is that God loves us. And that's something that we get in Job is, is that Job realizes that he doesn't understand the ways of God. He doesn't understand how he fits into the entire purposes of God. And so he will trust God going forward. And that's not an easy thing for us to do. So everyone goes through suffering and trials, and we don't always get an answer for why. And then the third thing is, is to recognize that God has a plan to end suffering. God has a plan to end suffering. And even though the plan was enacted in Jesus, and when Jesus went to the cross, he paid, he suffered on the cross for us over and over again. We're told in, in the New Testament that, we, that Jesus suffered so that we could be brought into God's family, so that we should be forgiven. In Romans 6, 9 to 11, it says, We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For, death, for the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God, so that you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. That Christ died once for all so that we could be dead to sin and alive in Christ. We're told over and over again that we can expect trials and tribulations. We can expect sufferings in this life. But we are told to take heart because Christ has overcome the world. In fact, in Romans 8, 18, it says, For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Paul, a man who knew suffering, wrote those words. Paul, a man who is, was beaten to within an inch of his life multiple times, who was imprisoned and shipwrecked and went hungry and went through so many difficult situations in his life, could say those words, write those words down, and say that the things that I have gone through in this life, the suffering, they don't hold a candle to the things of God, to the glory that we are to be, is to be revealed to us. So when I say that God has a plan to end suffering, that plan started with Jesus on the cross. When Jesus willingly went to the cross, when he suffered, when he was whipped, flogged, beaten, beaten to the point where he probably was close to death anyway, a Roman flogging was a whipping with a multi-tailed whip with pieces of bone and, and rock and ball bearing in it that would cause deep internal and, and external wounds, essentially tearing the flesh open and bruising deep. It was from the neck down, front and back. That's what Jesus received before he went to the cross. And then on the cross, his hands were nailed to the cross. Generally, we, we understand it to be right about below where my watch is here. And that would have punctured a nerve that would have sent a burning sensation all the way up his chest on each arm, nailed to the cross, and he hung there 
slowly suffocating to death, every breath having to push against a coarse piece of wood, ripping open the wounds that he's already suffered in his body. And beyond the physical pain that he would have been suffering, as we know that crucifixion is one of the most horrific ways that man has ever devised to kill another person, we know that in that time, the wrath of God was being poured out on him. The anguish of paying the price for sin was being poured out upon him. He suffered. So don't ever think that God doesn't understand suffering because Jesus, being fully man, fully God, suffered for us. And we are told to pick up our cross and follow him daily. And remember this. Revelation 21.4 he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain, for the former things have passed away. We know that suffering will end. We know that Christ died once for all to pay the price for sin, to enact a new creation, and we are living in the time that we call the already, not yet. Meaning we're already saved, we're already in God's family, but we're not yet fully perfected yet. We're not yet out of the, 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 the burden and the effects of sin, but one day we will be. So endure. Everyone goes through trials. We don't always know the answer why. But God's plan to end suffering, God's plan to end suffering is found in Jesus. So no matter what you're going through, we know that Jesus suffered to pay the price for our sins. We know that Jesus understands our suffering. He understands our challenges. And we know that he loves us so much that while we were still his enemies, he laid down his life for us. And we have the promise that if we are his followers, he will wipe away every tear. And there will be a time when we stand completely freed from the feeling of the effects of sin, those pains and aches in your body, the suffering and mental anguish that you may be going through now will one day be done. And for today, we're told to endure until he calls us home. So we endure and we spread the good news of Jesus Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, we thank you for your amazing love. We thank you that you've given us a world where we can create stories that tell a little bit more about our, the way the world is. And Lord, I pray that for anyone who's going through a time of suffering right now, whether it's minor or great, whether it's more than they could possibly imagine, or, or whether it's something that, that's been nagging at them for a long time, physical or mental or emotional, whatever it is, Lord, I pray for healing for them because we know that you are a God who heals. But I pray that you would also give them the strength to endure it until you do heal them. Lord, I pray that you would surround them with people who would support them, be there to be with them in their challenges, to help them along, to, to offer what they need in the moments that they need it. I pray that we, we would be humble enough to realize that we don't understand everything and that we might not know why we go through the things we go through them, that, but that we would trust that you are working them all for our good and that we would trust the promise that you will end suffering, that you have already started that promise. We would trust that there will be one, more, one day where there will be no more, no more sin, no more pain, no more suffering, no more death, that you'll wipe away every tear from our eyes. I pray for anybody who doesn't know you, 
Lord, I pray that they would repent, stop what they're doing, and turn to you. If, if that is anybody who is watching today, what we're told in the Bible when we come to Jesus is to repent. That just means to turn from your old ways and go God's way. And you might not know what that is right now, but place your trust in Jesus. We're told if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Trust in Jesus' sacrifice. Say that Jesus is in charge of your life and turn and follow him. And I pray, Lord God, that they would pray to you to follow you, that you would lead them, guide them, get a hold of them, and pull them along into your family. Lord, we recognize that we might not always know why, but we recognize that you are good and that you have made a way to end suffering. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for your love. In your name, amen.